Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, back for another episode of Innovation and Compliance. Today, I have with me Eric Feldman. Eric is a Senior Vice President at Affiliated Monitors, and we're going to talk about one of the routes to innovation that perhaps is not readily as focused on as uh, technology or products or services, and that's innovation in the anti-corruption compliance space, which comes when the regulators make a suggestion, uh, put something in an enforcement action, or actually change a enforcement policy, and that how that change can drive innovation. So, Eric, with that somewhat long-winded introduction, uh, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to visit with me. Thanks for having me, Tom. Eric, we're going to focus on mergers and acquisitions. And as you know, the 2012 FCPA guidance jointly issued by the Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission focused many of us for the first time on the pre-acquisition phase of due diligence in a merger and acquisition context. Many people were cognizant of the Halliburton 0802 opinion release, which focused on post-acquisition activity. But the 2012 guidance focused on the pre-acquisition phase. And then this summer, we had, I thought, a very significant change by the Department of Justice. Assistant Attorney General Matthew Miner announced that if a company met, I think, four points in the mergers and acquisition context, they could receive a full declination for the sins of a company that they may have acquired that was violating the FCPA. So there was an informal safe harbor that many people believed existed, but now we have a formal safe harbor. And that has really driven, I think, and helped drive innovation to the mergers and acquisition levels. And I know you and your company have been very vocal about the need to engage in pre-acquisition due diligence for quite some time and how that ties into the post-acquisition integration, audit, and uh, disclosure to the Department of Justice is necessary. So I wanted to explore today with you really what that continuum is, how the pre-acquisition work builds on, informs the post-acquisition work, and how as much as, as important as all of this is from the regulatory perspective, it's actually more important, I think, from the business perspective. So could you maybe start by uh, describing what you would view as good pre-acquisition due diligence from the ethics and compliance assessment perspective? Sure, Tom. Yeah, this area is really fascinating. And I began to get involved in this several years back when we were doing a proactive assessment of a company that had just been acquired by private equity. It was a large government contractor, and we found significant ethics and compliance issues and weaknesses, uh, both in terms of program and the culture within the company that had resulted in some actions by not just senior people, but mid-level and low-level people throughout the organization that put the entire company at risk. And it was interesting when we wrote the report, we were summoned to meet with the private equity firm in New York. And I remember going up there armed to the teeth with all of my evidence to support what I had in the report, thinking I was going to be cross-examined. And I ended up being just asked a basic question. What did we miss? How did we miss this? 
And I answered that question with a question and asked, well, what did you ask when you did the pre-acquisition due diligence of this company? And we found that they asked everything relating to previous litigation. They looked at, of course, the financials. They looked at the nature of long-term contracts that this company had had with the government, thinking it was safe and they were going to make money relatively quickly. But they didn't ask some basic questions. And they're very simple. Questions involving the corporate ethics and compliance function. Do you have an ethics and compliance officer? Where are they organizationally placed? How independent are they? Do they have the resources and the authority that they need to get the job done? What does the code of conduct look like? Is it something that is understandable to the workforce? Uh, Does the workforce have it? Are they trained on a regular basis? Is the training valuable? Have you done any kind of an assessment of the effectiveness of your ethics and compliance program? Any assessment of the culture? Have there been employee surveys? You can see where I'm going with this, that it's a real basic assessment of whether the company that you are acquiring has paid appropriate attention both to the compliance posture of the company and to the culture of the company. And if you haven't done that, then there is a potential weakness. That doesn't mean you don't buy the company. What it means is that if you're going to move forward with the acquisition or the merger, that there are certain steps you're going to have to take immediately on the post-acquisition side to integrate that company into your operation. It would seem to me that this, I don't want to say is a basic inquiry, but uh, perhaps that's too pejorative. But is this an inquiry that you find resonates with business people to understand the culture of a company and understand the values of an entity they're buying? Or is that really not something they're too concerned with? Well, I think in the past, it has taken a backseat to issues involving the financials. And they looked at risk in an M&A context as more having to do with immediate financial and legal risk. And they didn't look at the longer-term aspects. And it's interesting how, in your introduction, you mentioned how these DOJ policies drive innovation and they drive the thought process. And clearly, DOJ's announcement that they're going to apply the FCPA policy to M&A transactions more formally than they had in the past, I think has driven people to understand that this is something that's going to be looked at and it's something that is going to matter. Now, other than the regulatory framework, I think that businesses are starting to realize that culture in their company and companies that they might acquire really is a foundational internal control that helps to manage the risk of ethics violations and misconduct on the part of employees. And what I mean by that is that employees, you have to ask the question, why do they comply? And employees will comply if the culture is supportive of that compliance. And they'll report on issues that might be occurring if the culture is supportive of that reporting. If it isn't, they won't. And in that way, 
it really is a foundational control, and businesses are starting to realize it. So in the one of the things that I found interesting about the pre-acquisition phase is even the Department of Justice made it clear that your pre-acquisition work, including your due diligence, including a risk assessment, really informs your post-acquisition integration, your post-acquisition training of the uh, acquired company's high-risk employees, and your post-acquisition forensic audit to determine if there's anything scant going on. So how would you see that continuum? Have you been in the situation where you've been able to do some fairly hard, heavy lifting in the pre-acquisition phase to set up the post-acquisition integration? Yes, actually, that continuum is a very strong one. And as I alluded to earlier, doing an assessment, a pre-acquisition due diligence assessment of the target company is very much like doing a baseline assessment of ethics and compliance in your own company. And we have done that before. And what it does is reveals where the strengths and the challenges are within that ethics and compliance program and within that culture. Any gaps between what that target company is doing and what your company has put into place, that is what's filled post-acquisition in the integration process. It helps you to identify what it is you need to do and prioritize those steps immediately. Now, it may also lead to the identification pre-acquisition of significant issues, and that can come out. I am a big advocate of the fact that just talking to employees often reveals significant areas of misconduct. And many employees don't report misconduct because they haven't been asked. And if they're asked as part of the due diligence process, they may, in fact, identify things that have taken place within their previous organization. And then it gives the acquiring company a great opportunity to address those issues, to report it as necessary to DOJ or the SEC if it involves corruption activity, and to give themselves a much better situation going forward. The integration piece, identifying where those gaps are and dealing with it, we've had some pretty significant activity in that area. We were involved in a company uh, very recently where the company had identified significant issues in the target organization. And they had to do something with that very, very quickly. And so that identification led to the creation of an integration plan that spelled out step by step the training, the sort of reorientation of the workforce that needed to take place post-acquisition, and the messaging that had to take place on the part of senior and mid-level managers to ensure that the employees coming into this new organization knew exactly what their responsibilities were. We also had a situation of a company that didn't do the integration plan. And I can tell you with some certainty that the DOJ focused in a laser-like way on the absence of that integration plan post-acquisition. And that was identified as a deficiency right up front. 
So in moving to that post-integration phase, I believe the department will provide some flexibility and certainly some time for a company to complete those tasks, but you're under the clock. They're not going to, the Department of Justice is certainly not going to wait forever. And my uh, suspicion is they're going to want to see a plan. Would that be accurate or is it another approach? Oh, no, they're going to want to see a plan right away. And in fact, if you've done the due diligence properly pre-acquisition and you've identified where those gaps are, that integration plan ought to be ready to go on the day of, of closing. There really is no reason why the plan can't be there. Now, execution of that plan may take some time. Changing culture takes time. And there are a lot of very complex steps in integrating a new company into your infrastructure. That involves technology, information systems, It involves controls. It involves the soft side of training, policies, procedures. And it could take time. It could take a year or longer. But having that plan up front, I think, is what can help protect the company. And more than that, more than just using it as a a way to protect yourself, it is critical to really succeeding and making sure that you have integrated this new company into the fold. We were doing some work, some assessment work for a UK company that engaged in oil services, and it was a um, proactive assessment. And they had a policy of acquiring other companies, small companies around the world, and they're just letting them do their thing is kind of how they put it. And they didn't really spend a lot of time on the post-acquisition structure and integration. They just let them do what they were doing. And the old company, they would worry about making sure that they were somewhat integrated into the company's operations. Well, in this particular case, they didn't realize that hiring a small oil services company in Louisiana could create some risk in terms of how that group saw its ethics and compliance responsibilities. And it was pretty clear from some of the decision-making and actions that were taken that the company and its employees really didn't think that government certifications were all that big a deal. And as a result, they falsified certain documents And the entire company was indicted by two grand juries, all because of the absence of any kind of an integration plan. And so there it was not just ensuring that you could protect yourself as a company, but you needed to prevent this kind of activity from occurring and potentially significantly harming the acquiring company. So one of the things that I've certainly advocated, Eric, is that all of the steps you have articulated, while certainly important from the regulatory perspective, are really actually more important from the business perspective. And I've heard you talk multiple times about culture as a process control and culture as a longer term risk that companies are probably not thinking about and managing with a strategy 
as much as they are some other type of risk. Would this type of merger and, exit and acquisition activity fall into that category? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you look at the definition of culture and what culture is in your organization, it really is just the way things are done. And culture is impacted most greatly by the people that you bring into the organization. Every employee you hire can impact the culture. Every new leader that you promote by example and model can impact the culture of different offices within the company. How many of us have seen different parts of a company that are either positively or negatively impacted by a single leader and them walking that talk? So imagine bringing in 5,000 people in an acquisition that come into your company and can either help to strengthen the culture that you already have or they can really come in as a toxin that poisons the culture of your company. So M&A really is a very serious determinant of which direction your company's culture is going to go. Eric, I've heard you talk a couple of times about a, I think, a very important and innovative tactic or technique, which is to bring in an independent integrity monitor or an independent third party, but really a true independent in the merger and acquisition process, both pre-acquisition and post-acquisition. I was wondering if you might be able to close with a few thoughts on why you think having a true independent can be so significant in this process. Sure. Well, you know, as you know, during the M&A process, many of the transactions and discussions are confidential by necessity. And it would not be an acceptable technique to have people from the acquiring company running around the target company asking too many questions of the employees about the impact of the ethics and compliance program and the culture. But that company could, in fact, bring in an independent third party to do a comprehensive assessment of its own ethics and compliance program, similar to what companies do during the M&A process on financials and financial statements, on the legal liabilities, ongoing litigation. Firms are brought in all the time to manage that process and to do assessment work. So the same thing could be done in ethics and compliance using the kind of third-party independent assessment that we, we're seeing more and more companies do to determine if their compliance culture and their program is effective, which is sometimes a very tough question to answer. Post-acquisition, once the integration plan is fully implemented, it is a great tool to bring in that independent third party to determine whether it was successfully implemented. If all aspects of the integration from a cultural standpoint and from an ethics and compliance standpoint have been successfully implemented. And that particular assessment can be focused on those areas of the M&A, the people, the facilities, the geographical locations that were impacted by the acquisition. So, Eric, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but I've been visiting with Eric Feldman, Senior Vice President at Affiliated Monitors. We've been talking about innovation in the mergers and acquisition context for anti-corruption compliance and how the government can really start 
or lead that innovation, but it's the marketplace is responding both with companies subject to such laws and by service providers to come up with innovative techniques to help companies not only comply with the regulatory requirements, but also improve their business process. Eric, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Thanks for having me, Tom. Now I'd like to present you with a special offer to attend Converge 18, hosted by Conversant, with a 50% discount. As you know, the last year has publicly brought ethics to the center of business reputations worldwide. With the acceleration of the speak-up culture and organizational accountability that social media is enabling and amplifying, companies need to incorporate integrity into every level of their organization. Converge 18 is helping organizations to do just that by addressing ethical transformations head-on. This event will be held in Denver, Colorado from October 8th through 10th. At it, you will be able to network with 300 of your peers, including C-suite executives, legal professionals, HR leaders, and ethics and compliance visionaries. Gain insights from 35 speakers, including such prominent speakers as Wei Chen, Steph Bogle, the NBA's Deputy Chief Compliance Officer, and Carol Switzer, President of OSEC. You will bring home actionable takeaways to your compliance program from a variety of sessions, including two keynotes, five general sessions, 12 based roundtables, and 18 interactive breakout sessions for you. You can get more information on Converge 18 at Conversant's website, conversant.com. Listeners to this podcast will receive a 50% discount to the event. Use the discount code TOMFOXVIP. That's all caps, TOMFOXVIP. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.